Thrill Me. This show is part of the Thrill Me Podcast Network. Experience more on Facebook and YouTube. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Crypt of Horror, your tales from the Crypt podcast here on the Haunters Patreon. I am your ghoulish host, Mr. Wonderful, and today we are diving into Season 1, Episodes 3, and Episodes 4 of Tales from the Crypt. And if you remember last week when we were discussing in Episode 1, Tales from the Crypt debuted back in 1989 and dropped three episodes on that debut night over on HBO. We covered the first two episodes last week. You can go back and listen to that here on the Patreon, as well as our other Patreon shows, especially if you are a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Definitely check out Slay Girl Slay over there, as well as following Haunters Podcast on our Twitter at Haunters Pod, Haunters P-O-D, on our Facebook page as well, facebook.com. Give a search for Haunters Podcast. So diving into Tales from the Crypt here Episode three of season one was called Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. That was the name of the episode that debuted on the same night as the first two episodes. That was June 10th of 1989. And that's the thing, Tales from the Crypt, that first season run, only six episodes. So we're already we're already halfway there. We're, we're literally at the midway point of season one already. Uh, and next week, we're going to be finishing season one, if you can believe it. We've already made it through one season of Tales from the Crypt. But um, those first three episodes dropped same night of June 10th, 1989. So it really was just this short run, kind of one month run over there on HBO. But Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone was episode number three. And this is actually a pretty cool episode. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Now the opening segment, uh, yeah, obviously you get that fantastic open details from the crypt that even when I rewatch the DVDs, you better believe it. I am still watching that entire intro from the gate all the way down to the crypt keeper popping up and going, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, it's just one of the classic intros to television show history in my eyes. Like there, there, there are some like, like off the top of my head, I, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about like off the top of my head, cheers. I'd, I'd say friends because, you know, nobody can hear the Rembrandts, uh, without thinking of dancing in a fountain in Central Park. Uh, but cheers, friends, mash, tales from the crypt, like ducktails, uh, Rescue Rangers, like certain shows had these intros that you were just like, you can't skip these intros. Uh, even Stranger Things, as as much as it's just their names and stuff, there's something really cool about that just musical intro. And that's what Tales from the Crypt has as well, that, that cool musical intro bed that we're kind of using right now. But hopefully that'll change as the intro to our show because I don't want to get sued. Uh, but Tales from the Crypt... Episode three taking place here. And uh, this one, you know, we have that opening segment. We head into the crypt. The crypt keeper is there. He welcomes us, fiends, fans, and uh, welcomes us into his crawly crypt. And then he kind of sets it all up the way he does every episode, kind of bringing us in uh, the way that the crypt keeper did back in the comic source for this episode, which was Haunt of Fear number 21, because I didn't talk about this again last week, and we'll dive further into this uh, when we do more of a dive into the origins of how Tales from the Crypt, like where the comic series came from and stuff like that. But the comic series, there were multiple people that introduced these short stories within the comic strips. Haunt of Fear 
has the Crypt Keeper, but there are a couple other characters, uh, two other ones, and we'll talk about those in later episodes here on the Patreon. But either way, Crypt Keeper welcomes us in, sets the story up, and the story is about a guy named Ulrich, the undying, a sideshow performer who found death not only fun, but very profitable. In fact, he's dying to put on a show for you in this episode, and that's where we enter the episode, and the episode kind of sets us up. We see one of those carnival acts. Uh, we see the uh, main players, so to say, kind of setting it up, and it's going to be a buried alive moment. It's it's we're burying Ulrich alive, and Ulrich is played by Joe uh, Pantaleano. I always screw up his last name, but you know him from The Sopranos. You know him from Baby's Day Out. Yeah, that's right. I dropped Baby's Day Out for him. Uh, but so many classics. He he, he is definitely been around for a very long time and in a lot of your favorite uh, films, television shows, stuff like that growing up. Uh, but he is your lead in this uh, episode because he's the carnival, da- he's the daredevil. He's the daredevil that's buried alive for his grand finale. But after he gets buried alive, that's where we kind of start getting the story of how Ulrich got these kind of can die and come back. And that's when we find out that he's nothing more than a homeless man uh, who ended up meeting a doctor. The doctor then told him, hey, I can give you nine lives like a cat and sets him up and all of this. And he agrees to go through surgery because he's a homeless guy. He's got nothing, you know. So he agrees to go through this partial brain transplant from the cat. Uh, and that's when he decides, along with his doctor as well, that they're going to capitalize on this new acquiring of nine lives and he becomes this huge star performance artist uh, specializing in cheating death with crazy death sequences and we'll get into those in just a moment but either way it sets it up he gets buried alive uh robert um robert wool uh is uh the guy that is the carnival leader from uh batman fame yeah you remember him next to vicky uh but he sets it all up uh kathleen york plays one of the women that works at the carnival as well. Uh, She comes into play uh, as well in a little bit. But either way, we see the setup for the Buried Alive Act. He gets put into the coffin. Joe gets lowered down. Ulrich has been buried alive. And he's sitting there and he lights a little candle. And he's directly talking to you, the audience member. He's he's deadpanning it. There's a breaking of the fourth wall. uh, And he's telling it in the sense of... Basically, you think I'm crazy, but let me tell you what happened. Let me take you back and and tell you my story as we're recounting all the deaths. So we find out, again, homeless man. He's living on the streets. The doctor pulls him in. This doctor tells him he can give him all these lives, uh, tells him that they had to kill the cat in order to get the brain from the cat to then give to him. Remember that. That's going to matter. Uh, and oh, by the way, spoiler alert for anybody who's new to this show, uh, we will spoil the hell out of these shows. That's why we're here. We're here to discuss the relevance of these shows, the messages, what this show was and how incredible Tales from the Crypt was as far as horror television goes, as far as HBO television goes and as far as anthology goes. Because if, if y'all know me, I love my anthology horrors. They fun. Love that. Love getting short horror stories. Uh, but either way, they go through this surgery. He comes out. Doctor's like, you now have the lives of a cat. And he's like, how do I know I'll come back from death? And that's when the doctor goes, because I'm going to kill you. And just shoots him right in the head, kills him. He comes back pretty much instantly. Resurrection right away. Uh, and they're like, oh, my God, this worked. 
great. You're not dead. You're alive. That's one death. But again, remember, I told you they had to kill the cat. So he's counting one death. Then we move along to the finally they go. They're like, hey, you know, Robert. Hey, what's up, dude? We got an act for you. This guy can die and he will come back from death. And that's when they are like, okay, whatever. We'll give this a shot. Uh, and, you know, he just goes along with it. He's just like, all right, my, my carnival's failing. This thing sucks. Why not? You want to you you die? Go ahead and die. So they set up a tank. He does a drowning act. He drowns. That's when they're like, resurrection. And he doesn't resurrect right away. And people are like, ah, oh, I paid all this money. I sat here for an hour. You left him underwater for an hour. And he really is dead. What a What a horrible show this is. But then finally he comes back to life and... And he's all like, oh, hey, everybody, I resurrected. And everybody comes running back into the tent and is like, holy crap, Ulrich really died and came back to life. This is incredible. So there's death number two for you. Uh, Then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of continue the story along and he's continuing to tell you the story from the coffin. And he's like, hey, you know, that one that one was kind of cool. But that's when he ended up meeting Kathleen York and they go out to dinner. And he's like, yeah, but now I got this girl, blah, 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 blah. And I made some money. It's great. Uh, Then they move on, and now Kathleen York has become a part of his act as well. She's now his sidekick, so the next death, they set it up with a hanging, and he does a whole hanging sequence where he dies by noose and comes back, so there's death number three. That's when he then goes, oh man, me and the doc, we had our thing going, but that's when I decided to increase my profits. Uh, He then kills the doctor so that he can get all the profits in a car crash because, hell, goes 100 on uh, on the highway in the rain. He's like, um, doctor, you're going to die. You don't have as many lives as me. I'll die. I'll come back. So he dies. He comes back. They then go back to the carnival. He gives this whole big empowered, I'm here and I'm doing this for my doctor, my friend, who would have wanted me to continue. But he's already died four times now. And the fifth death that's about to occur that he's telling you about is an electrocution. And they allow an audience member to pull the switch to electrocute him, which now takes this episode into a whole new level of really weird and really macabre and really kind of disturbing. And it continues because after the electrocution, he then gets arrowed to death by a real human. Yes, there's actually a death sequence where they are charging $1,000 for people to come down and shoot arrows at him, trying to kill him because, well, What better game to hunt than a real-life human that you know is going to come back to life? So you're not really killing him, right? You're just taking one of his nine lives. Uh, But I guess that does count as killing. I don't know. As a Catholic to me, like, as a Catholic to me, either way, like, that moment right there, I was like, oh, my God, who would ever pay $1,000 to kill somebody even if you knew they were coming back? Like, you're literally killing somebody. That's that's a no-no. So that was a lot of my Catholic guilt. Uh, my Christian guilt right there, my my Catholicism coming out in me, making me like feel really weird about that episode uh, and that moment of the episode. But either way, uh, there's one person that goes up there. He gives the $1,000 he misses. Then a father-son duo go up there. The son doesn't want to do it. The father's like, I killed people for many years. You're going to join me in this journey, which again, super weird. But uh, the kid misses. And then there's like a whole weird, like the father's like, you intentionally did that. And I'm like, oh, are we about to see a kid get beat to death here? Uh, But it's just nothing. It's just the two of them bickering. I didn't intentionally do that, Dad. You intentionally missed. I didn't, Daddy. And you know that kid got 
beat seven ways to Sunday on the ride home. Uh, and then eventually a third guy comes along, and this guy then gives them a check. And he's like, we need two forms of ID, hands him the wallet, and sure enough, he happens to be an archery champion from the 1987 carnival. And one shot kills Ulrich. He has now been arrowed to death for death number six. That's when we then see... But, oh, I, I forgot to mention that after the electrocution one, it took him a little while to resurrect back. Each death, as he's getting closer and closer to the nine, it's getting harder to resurrect back from. And depending on the death as well, depends on how hard it is for him to res- be resurrected. So after he got killed by a real human and arrowed, uh, he then put everything into the name of his girlfriend because... I forgot to mention this after he got electrocuted. They thought he was really, really dead, dead at that point. So that's when he ends up at the morgue and they're about to embalm him, which is when there's a classic joke gag of, no, honey, I got to embalm him because his girlfriend, Kathleen York, comes running in and is like, don't kill him, don't kill him, don't embalm him. He's not really dead. And they're like, no, he's really dead. I'd know. If he's not dead, this is a crazy act. And that's when he sits up in the morgue, scaring the hell out of the morticians. Uh, so after that one, he then establishes Kathleen York will get my body no matter what happens after each one of these death stunts. And so after he's arrowed, she gets control of the body and a really funny cop comes and is like, I got to take I got to take the body. She's like, no, no, no. I have this note that says the body's left to me. He's like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything. And then she just hands him like ten thousand dollars and is like, does this say something? And he's like, yeah, where do you want me to move the body? Uh, so the cop helps her move the body. They then wake up, or I should say Ulrich resurrects, and that's when they're kind of hanging out, Kathleen York and him, they're in his trailer, he's on the front page, Ulrich lives, and it's like, oh, you're such a huge star, da-da-da-da-da, and they're sitting there, and, you know, Ulrich is like, all right, I've now I've now died six times, I probably should be careful, I only got three lives left, and the third one's really going to count if I die. So, hey, honey, why don't we get on out of here? Why don't we book town? Why don't we leave for a while? Go to like, go to a tropical paradise and and have some fun. And that's when you see Kathleen York giving him a back rub. Goes, oh yeah, honey, how about I just boom and then starts stabbing him, kills him, takes his money, runs. And after she runs out, he resurrects and he's all pissed because he's like that damn woman gold digger and you know moves along and now he's died seven times and he wasn't planning on that death so that's when he then comes along and pitches the idea of i'll do one crazy stunt where i'll be buried alive and this will be my eighth death and i'll still have one left and blah 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 blah, blah but i want a hundred percent of the profits from the ticket sales for this you can keep your popcorn sales you can keep your concessions and stuff like that I want all the money from the tickets at the front box office because at the end of the day, Ulrich knows this is his la- this is the last time he can do it because the next one after this is really going to matter. And that's when he kind of starts, you know, continuing to tell you that story. And now we're back full circle. Now we're back where we began, which is he's in that coffin. He had broken that fourth wall to talk to us. So now we've been caught up on his seven deaths up to this point, And we're on death number eight. And that's when Ulrich then remembers what I said to you back in the beginning of the discussion. The doctor told him that they had to kill the cat, which means Ulrich only had eight lives. So at this moment, Ulrich now realizes that he had constantly kept forgetting to include the first death of the cat in order to get the brain. 
So Ulrich now realizes that as he's laying there in a coffin, being buried alive as they're throwing dirt on him, this is it. This is the final life. This There will be no resurrection from this. This is actually life number nine of the cat's life. And he's sitting there banging away, banging away. And they're like, nah, did you hear anything? Nah, I didn't hear anything. The uh, grave, di- the grave diggers, that is. But uh, And then, you know, you cut back into the crypt where the closing segment is taking place. And you see the crypt keeper. Uh, he's petting a kitty because there's a nice shot of a kitty cat, obviously. A black cat running towards the coffin as Ulrich is banging away like, I only, uh, I don't have nine lives. I don't have another life. I don't have another life. And the cat then sits on top of the grave that's just been buried for him. And then you cut back, and that's where Crypt Keeper's petting the cat and is all like, hey, hope you enjoy that little bedtime story, kids. Poor Ulrich, missed a bet, dying for dollars and all that, and kind of just bringing forth that whole idea of, you know, money, man, greed, and all of that. So uh, really good episode, really like this episode. I, I, I It's funny because every time I watch this episode, I always forget how much I really enjoy this episode in the first season because nothing against that the debut episode. It's a good debut episode to the show, but it, it really does kind of set a tone where episode two, as I mentioned, uh, the Christmas one, really kind of starts to take on a feel of the show and starts to kind of dive into the coolness of what tales from the crypt can really become and this is another one of those episodes that really does kind of dive into that and a uh, fun fact about this episode though it was directed by richard donner of lethal weapon fame superman fame yes that richard donner directed this episode he was a producer on the show as well uh because a lot of big hollywood names a lot of those big names of the 80s early 90s were really involved with the show which Again, I think helps the anthology aspect of it and helps this show as well. But he directed the episode. Uh, Some fun things that I did really like about the episode as well. There's a great HBO joke inside of it. uh, And and that's when the ringmaster uh, comes up and tells Ulrich that, hey, HBO sent their check-in. Tales from the Crypt obviously produced and aired on HBO. And uh, I mentioned the Richard Donner thing. Uh, He's actually makes a cameo as an audience member during the burial death. And there's a shot of him chanting, Oh, Rick, Oh, Rick, Oh, Rick. And along with the crowd is his wife, Lauren Donner, who's a producer of the X-Men franchise. She's sitting right beside him during that sequence as well. So that's kind of some cool, fun facts. But I do like this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes. It is really disturbing, though, just because of the aspect of how much the crowd really is into the idea of watching somebody die over and over and over again. And that idea of our obsession with paying for death. So I, I, and being curious about death and resurrection and stuff like that. So I do like this episode a lot. Uh, I, I think the acting is very, very strong in this episode. And this is one where if you're going to revisit Tales from the Crypt, I absolutely think you revisit it. And it, again, it comes from the comic source Haunts of Fear number 21. It's Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone, Season 1, Episode 3. Now, moving along, uh, continuing on to the next episode, Season 1, Episode 4, Only Sin Deep. And this is actually an episode which uh, doesn't have as much of the star power or directing power behind it. Now, it's not saying it doesn't have stars. It has Leah Thompson obviously Back to the Future fame. It has Brett Cullen. You know him just recently from Joker. 
Yeah, that's right. He was he was Thomas Wayne in the recent Joker movie. It has Britt Leach, who plays the pawn broker, who you might not recognize his name, but he's a character actor that has been in a lot of stuff. At some point in time, you've probably seen him. Uh, he he was in the movie Weird Science. Uh, he was in the television series Mission Impossible for an episode. He did a Wonder Woman episode. He did Waltons. Uh, he had, I think, more of a recurring wo- role on the Waltons, but uh, a character actor nonetheless. Uh, and that was pretty much your main cast of this one with those three because uh, Brett Cullen playing Ronnie Price, uh, Leah Thompson playing your lead in this episode, uh, and then, of course, having uh, Britt Leach in there as well. He playing that pawnbroker. That's kind of a big uh, epi- a big character, I should say, for this episode as well. But either way, episode begins again. You got that whole lead-in, beautiful intro, Crypt Keeper laughs, ha, 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 ha. Uh, but this episode was the first episode to premiere not on June 10th. Finally, we're off the opening night. Uh, we're on to the second week of shows, which actually came out four days later. June 14th, 1989 is when episode four debuted of Tales from the Crypt, and it came from the comic source of Haunts of Fear number 24. Uh, This episode is a fun one. It's not one of my personal favorites, but it it plays a little more Twilight Zone-y, and and I'll explain that by uh, mentioning that this episode kind of really deals with the idea of young, self-absorbed, prostitute lady of the night, Leah Thompson, uh, sells her looks to a voodoo dabbling pawnbroker, that's Britt Leach, so that she can use that money in order to snag a rich bachelor, Brett Cullen, soon regrets it four months later, and the reason she regrets it is, basically, Leah Thompson is just this really crooked woman. She knows she's sexy, she knows she's good, uh, and the opening segment kind of really fun. Actually, I will say this, Stop it. Reverse it for a second. Opening segment to this one might be one of my more favorite ones so far because it's one of the more playful ones. It seems like because, again, I mentioned in, back in the back in the first episode, I mentioned it seemed like the Crypt Keeper, like like John was kind of figuring out the character because he was still very he had that raspy voice, but he was very softer than the louder that he got and the more he like it was very more I don't want to say restrained but he was just you could tell he's still figuring out the Crypt Keeper in the beginning where now here we are four episodes in it seems like okay they might be figuring out a little bit of the playfulness he's kind of figuring out a little bit of the beats of the character a little bit more Uh, and I like it because it starts with mirror mirror on the wall who's the fiercest of them all the mirror shatters and he's like oh looks like I just brought seven years bad luck which I'll get to why that joke kind of makes me laugh as well in retrospect now uh, a little bit later on in just a couple minutes because it has a kind of a weird, funny, ironic connection, that seven years bad luck thing. But it then he then sets it up with, you know, kind of this is going to be one of those stories about greed, death and a girl who learned that beauty is only sin deep. And that's where we then find out that Leah Thompson's character, prostitute on the street, very just knows she has those good looks uses that to her advantage, but her and one of her friends, Raven, another lady of the night, notice Brett Cullen's character, Ronnie Price, going into his apartment, big party, woman on his arm, and she's all like, why can't I have that? Ba 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 And she wants it. 
So she then goes and decides she's going to steal the jewelry and rob the pimp on the street. And so she kind of seduces him, uses him, ends up pulling a gun on him, is like, give me everything. He says no. They get into a fight. She shoots him, kills him, boom, but has the gun, keeps the gun. That gun's going to come into play a lot uh, a little bit later on in the episode. So she she kills the pimp, takes his stuff, goes off to the pawnbroker. That's when she's like, hey, I got all this stuff. I want money, yada, yada, yada. I need money. And he's like, this is all great stuff, but it's hot. I can't take it. And during the course of this, some woman comes running into the store. She's in a veil and everything, covering her face, and just starts swinging a cane at the guy. And it's like, you monster, you did this to me. You're a horrible man. And Leah Thompson's just over there like, this is great. Look at this. Look at this woman losing her damn mind. Uh, she's loving it. She's laughing about it. And, you know, the woman eventually leaves and she's just like, what the hell is that? That's great. And he's like, ah, it's nothing. Uh, but won't sell her the items because he knows that they've obviously been stolen. He doesn't know they come from a murder, but he knows that they definitely are not hers and that she did something to get them. So he won't make the deal. She's all upset. She's about to leave. And that's when he's like, wait a minute, I can give you $10,000 if I can capture your beauty. And this is where I think this episode becomes a little more Twilight Zone-y. And I know that, you know, Twilight Zone wouldn't deal with the idea of a voodoo dabbling pawn broker, but the idea of the beauty, the sin, uh, the greed, what it causes, stuff like that. Like, this is where I feel like this episode kind of takes a little more of that turn. And it's not a bad thing. This is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not like, oh, damn it, this horror anthology went a little more on, like, a sci-fi-ish type thing. No, no, no. And it doesn't even really go that sci-fi. It still stays on the horror path, but just in the sense of, I start thinking of the episode of the pigs, the the pig faces, and uh, beauty is uh, in the eye of the beholder type deal. So either way, this guy offers her $10,000 to capture her beauty and her essence. She goes, yeah, well, all right, well, <laughs> this is the easiest thing ever. You're just going to create a mask of my face and I get $10,000? Boy, you're a sucker. Uh, and, you know, she agrees to it, does it. He then gives her a little receipt and he's like, now, remember, you only have four months to reclaim your beauty if you have an issue with it, if you want to return it. So she goes about her life. She ends up meeting up with Brett Cullen, Ronnie Price, who in real life, actually, they are very good friends. Uh, and that'll I have a fun trivia fact for that. And couple minutes as well for you but uh, they get together they start dating they start doing their thing and they're going hot and heavy she plays a game with him he's playing the game back yada 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 they start getting it on and four months has passed they're still together he gives her a nice little necklace and but she starts noticing when she looks in the mirror that like she's getting crow's feet a little bit harder and she's like dude i'm only 21 like why am i getting crow's feet why do i look like you know all right, must be like acne and stuff like that. So she kind of continues to go on. But every time she looks in the mirror, she's noticing she's aging more and more and more. And she's getting more and more wrinkled in her face. And that's when she starts like realizing something's wrong. She goes to the doctor and the doctor is all like, well, have you come into contact with anything over the last like six months or so? Like anything possibly radioactive, anything like this? And that's when she realizes oh crap, I let somebody make a mask of my face for $10,000, this pawnbroker. I, I only have four months. It, it, we're on month four right now. I got to go. 
So he goes, she goes running back to the store. Now the roles are reversed from what she was laughing at earlier. She now busts into the store, tells the woman that's at the front desk, don't do business with this guy. He's a horrible person. Goes at him and is like, you're going to give me back my beauty. Da-da, give it back. It's been four months. Here's my ticket. And that's when Mr. Pornbroker is like, honey, you didn't read the fine prints. I gave you this on the fourth. Today's the fifth. It ain't four months anymore. It's four months one day. You ain't getting your beauty back. And there's a reason that the pawnbroker is actually doing all this stuff as well. Uh, You see it after he takes her beauty, Leah Thompson's beauty, uh, and does the mask that his wife has died. And he's clearly taking women's beauty to help repair his wife to bring her back from the dead. And you see her at the start after he took Leah Thompson's beauty. She's still very corpsey looking, very much, you know, been decaying for a while. But when Leah Thompson goes back after those four months and starts, you know, fighting him and is like, I want my beauty back. He's like, I ain't giving it to you. You missed the four month cutoff. Four months, one day, you ain't getting it. She's like, I'll pay you anything. I'll give you, I'll I'll pay you more. Well, you're going to have to give me like $100,000 now. And she then is like, all right, I'll make it happen. I don't know how, but I'll make it happen. I want my beauty back. I don't want to be like this. And that's when she then goes back to her place where, you know, her and her boyfriend, Mr. Brett Cullen, Mr. Thomas Wayne himself, uh, they've been shacking up and living and all that. And she starts grabbing her money, grabbing the jewelry he gave her, all that stuff. And he had left town for a business trip, but he comes back in the middle of her doing this. And at this point, he doesn't recognize her because now she looks old and haggard and just gross and not this young, beautiful woman that was able to just use her face and her looks to get whatever she wanted, including this rich guy that gave her all this jewelry. No, now she looks like this old woman that nobody would want to touch and nobody would want to even spend time with. Who? Why? No. So he's all confused. He's like, who are you? What are you doing here? She's like, I'm your I'm your girlfriend. He's like, no, you're not. I'm going to call the cops. That's when she then pulls that gun out again she used back in the beginning to kill her pimp. Uh, Well, I'm sorry, not her pimp. A pimp that wanted her to be under his control that she then played in order to rob. Uh, So not her pimp. My bad. Sorry about that. But she uses that gun that she used back in the beginning. She then kills her boyfriend, uh, Mr. Brett Cullen over there, Mr. Ronnie Price in the episode. And he was on the phone with the cops. So the cops obviously are like, yeah, there were gunshots. We're going to have to go over there. But you see her packing everything up really quickly. She's throwing, she throws the, tries to throw the gun into her bag. She throws the jewelry into her bag. But she doesn't catch that the gun slipped and fell to the actual floor. And that's when, you know, now the piece of evidence has been left behind. But she runs to the pawnbroker. She's like, hey, man, I got everything you need. Look at all this jewelry. Give me back my essence. Give me back my beauty. Give it back to me. And he kind of is still refusing to do it. He's like, yeah, that's great. I don't care that you brought me all this stuff. And that's when she then realizes he's stealing people's essence for his dead wife to come back. So... She's kind of now in that like, what? Huh? No, I don't care. I don't care about your dead wife. Give me back my beauty. I don't want to look like this. And that's when he kind of flashes a peck, which very quick newspaper in New York City that they were already to turn a page that showed her and her now dead lover and saying crazed former prostitute kills her boyfriend. And it was like, well, that was a fast freaking, like literally she just killed the guy and then ran to the pawnbroker. You're telling me that they already got a page out like that? Come on. But either way, it's 
while I'll let that sin of the episode pass, because again, anthology, this is all going to be wrapped up in like 20 minutes or so, just like this episode's got to be wrapped up in about like the next five or 10. Uh, it, it, obviously, that's going to be something that just happens. But either way, he's like, why do you even want your beauty back? You're on the paper now. Your face is everywhere. The moment you get your essence back and you look like your former self, which is the picture that's being used, you're going to jail and you're going to be fried. And that's when it was established earlier that a cop throughout the area comes in, usually has lunch, hangs out and talks with the pawnbroker. He, Cause he had came in earlier when she was like, I want my essence back the first time. And they stopped talking about it when the cop came in. She's in the back. The cop comes back in again. And is like, Hey man, you here? He comes out, they start talking and she's hanging out in the back over listening to the conversation. And that's when she hears the cop basically saying like, yeah, have you read the paper yet? This story, yada, yada, yada. Uh, this woman is going to be just executed the moment we catch her, like uh, probably just shoot her on sight type deal. Like there's, there's no surviving for this woman. And this is when Leah Thompson is starting to realize all of her decisions have failed her. Everything has failed her. Her looks no longer exist. The gold diggingness has led to this. All of it is just gone bad for her. And she grabs the mask that he had made of her face and is cradling it and holding it because it is the last essence of beauty of hers. And she doesn't want her beauty back at this point because she realizes she can't have it back. She'll never have a life again. So she's got to accept the life she has, but she still has this plastic mold of her face, though, from when she was beautiful. That's when she's walking through the streets uh, of New York and ends up getting bumped by Raven, who knocks this mask out of her hand and shatters onto the ground. Very visually cool because obviously the shattered mask represents the shattered cracks in her face that she now has as well. So no longer is the mask beautiful as well. The mask is just as cracked as her face. So uh, again, that's again, though, pulling from the, oh, it's very Twilight zone with that, you know, <clears throat> beauty only as deep as the uh, eye of the beholder. Oh, beauty. Oh, you wanted beauty. Oh, you wanted this, but it backfired and you lost your beauty in order to get gain riches and and uh, a sexy ass boyfriend like that's what i mean by that but done still in the horror way as opposed to the sci-fi way it's not like you know she was trying to have plastic surgery to look like a pig to look like everybody else uh you know because she was just a blonde beauty this took a horror turn and all that but in the way the lesson was done in the way the story was kind of crafted felt very similar in that style, if that makes sense to y'all. That's just how I kind of was interpreting it and kind of what pulled me out at times. But either way, episode ends with her kind of holding the broken pieces of the mask. That's when we cut back to the Crypt Keeper who's like, oh, poor Sylvia. Hey, kitties. Guess she heard the old saying, if looks could kill. So she did. Uh, you know, like, and again, he's now cracking more jokes on the episode as well, the Crypt Keeper. And it's, again, it feels like the Crypt Keeper at this point there's a little more of the we're figuring this out and we're kind of almost there on the Crypt Keeper being that full-blown character that would eventually blow up the way Freddy did. Jason, Michael, all those guys, Leatherface, all of them, all of them, eventually they all blew up. 
But uh, I like this episode. Not not its strongest, but does have good messages in it. Again, it does have that message of kind of uh, the beauty aspect of things, the selling aspect of things. It, it, you know, the things that I've already hit on, uh, and the idea of just kind of that beauty really being sin deep uh and her sins coming back to bite her in the ass in the end but uh i do want to mention this episode was directed by a guy named howard Dooch, i believe is how you pronounce his last name but uh i should know that because he was the director of such classic films as pretty in pink the replacements recently he's been more tv uh and even actually did work on hbo show true blood as well more recently Uh, So that's some of the stuff that he's been up to. But a fun fact about him, he is actually married to Leah Thompson, has been since 1989. Now, I could not find out whether or not it was this episode where they actually met. But because this is Crypt of Horror, I'm just going to throw it out there and say it absolutely was this episode. And Tales from the Crypt created a Hollywood romance that is still going strong today. So thank you, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, But some other fun trivia I mentioned earlier, Leah Thompson, Brett Cullen are friends. Well, Leah Thompson actually spoke out about this episode when she was asked about it a while ago, uh, and she said that she found it very difficult to perform the love scenes with Brett Cullen because of how close friends they are in real life. Her difficulty was compounded by the fact that it was her husband directing her as well, so uh, she had to redub her dialogue in those scenes in post-production because they are a little... They're not uh, the hottest and heaviest thing that you'll see in a Tales from the Crypt episode, but they're not... they're, 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 They're... I want to say they're the PG-13 of some Tales from the Crypt stuff. I've seen some more crazier things already in Tales from the Crypt than I did those love scenes. Uh, But that's kind of one of the fun little facts. Uh, The title also does come from the popular expression that beauty is only skin deep. Again, kind of tying it back to the lesson of that episode really is all about kind of the sinfulness and, and beauty and how you use that to your advantage and how it one day is just always going to fail you. No matter how beautiful you are, it will eventually fail you. But uh, Only Sin Deep, episode four, Tales from the Crypt, a good episode as well. Definitely, um, if I was doing a marathon, might not make my 10 favorite episode list of Tales from the Crypt, you know, TV show marathon watching, but still a good episode to go to. Not the worst episode in the franchise. There is one of those coming up that um, in season two, two i believe that actually is very star-studded that uh i am not looking forward to revisiting because i know uh it's going to end up on my list of this is where tales might have been bad for an episode but uh this one not that bad good episode uh good two episodes so far season one has been absolutely fantastic from the establishment in episode one to the crypt keeper kind of continuing to grow throughout the first four episodes uh the directors kind of starting to branch out and do some weird cool things uh and just really fun episodes and uh two really fun episodes definitely worth a revisit if you are a fan of tales from the crypt so as i mentioned uh the next episode of crypt of horror will be coming out next month we will dive into the final two episodes be done with season one already we're already going to be wrapping up season one we'll talk episodes five and six in the next episode got a Another episode next weekend coming out for you guys from the Patreon here from Haunters. Uh, It'll be Zach and Brooke doing a little 
Slay Girl Slay diving into another episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer for y'all. So uh, remember, thank you guys so much. If you, uh, well, obviously, if you're listening to this, thank you for subscribing to our Patreon page. Uh, More content is to come. We've been dropping hints about that on the daily, weekly free show for y'all of things that are going to keep coming here. And uh, yeah, thank you all as well. If any of you guys were out last night uh, at the Friday the 13th event, because this episode is dropping on the 14th. So thank you all for coming on out to the Virginia Beer Company for that as well and hanging out with us. Uh, Until the Wednesday show, everybody. Uh, That's right. I don't have an out for this show yet. So what do I do? I guess I just stay creepy, my friends. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!